Before we begin, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the class. I've personally taken a few of these classes, and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion, but wanting more. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. I'll see you there. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. thank you for joining me. I'm Richard Olberger, clinical psychologist, and thank you for joining me on the Richard Listens Show. Uh, again, check me out, Richard Listens. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Richard Listens or visit my patreon.com slash Richard Listens page. Today, my guest is a man from my loving field of basketball, Mr. Norman Nolan, former Division I basketball player at the University of Virginia. He's a basketball trainer, coach, and mentor. He hosts his own Facebook Live show. He played again at University of Virginia, Division I program, 15 years of pro basketball for Mr. Nolan in the NBA, Europe, Asia, South America, and Middle East, and currently is doing basketball development mentoring kids in Orange County, California. He's also the director of basketball operations with the West Coast Legendary Academy in Elisa Viejo. Without further ado, I'll be bringing on Mr. Norman Nolan. Thank you for joining us on the show, Norman Nolan. Appreciate you joining us today. Appreciate you having me, Richard. Thank you. I mean, you know, I can't let you steal the spotlight. I see you have a, a Facebook live show you've been doing. Uh, are you thinking about launching your own podcast? Uh, it was just something that a buddy of mine and myself thought of during the uh, during the quarantine, just to share a lot of the information of things that we experienced through our careers and experiencing now, just to get the message out there and really speak the truth, because there's a lot of misconceptions of, you know, international basketball players and the whole process and the whole upbringing, you know, and getting to that point. So we just want to share positive information and, and not only encourage and help other guys, but just give them sound advice as well. Now you played you played at University of Virginia. What what years were you there? Ninety four to ninety eight. Ninety four to ninety eight. Okay, so that was that was right when I was in college uh, as well. So I probably watched you guys in the NCAA tournament. What was your most memorable season there at, at Virginia? I would say my first and my last. First year we went to the Elite Eight, lost to Arkansas to go to the Final Four, and that was the year that UCLA won it. And then my last year, I had a personal career best, set of career best and single season records at the university as well. So I would say my first and last year. And, and University of Virginia, I mean, they, they are now like a defensive 
stalwart was that always the the focus we definitely pride ourselves in defense with our with our former coach jeff jones who's uh currently at old dominion but we were probably a little more talented offensively nowhere near as good defensively but we pride ourselves in defense we're always always a tough defensive team but we were definitely talented offensively and so that that must be you know every college player's dream i mean both making it that far and it's always then what what haunts them you know one step further they wish they could have could have achieved so you mentioned you know the globalization of basketball uh right. things are much more european you know that influence is there how do you find that affects your work uh with with young athletes in terms of influence and learning and style and just in general you know who who you're up against you know it's, it's funny you ask that question because i came along on the period where european basketball was I won't say just starting to take off, but the NBA has started to take notice of a lot of the European players. So when I first started playing in Europe, you know, I played against the Manu Ginobili's and the Marco Jadic and the Tiago Splitters and the Luis Colas and, and all those guys. So it was, it was right during that transition time when they were really looking at, at European players. And the one thing I can say about European basketball players, they're extremely fundamentally sound. And that's how I grew up. I grew up on fundamentals. And I, I think here in the States, we rely a lot on athleticism and a lot on one-on-one -on -one play to play basketball, which, which for me gets away from, you know, how basketball was meant to be played and everything. So I definitely love the, the European and international style of basketball. It's more team-oriented and is, is more fundamentally sound. So that's what I try to instill in my guys because if the athleticism is there, and we can't tap into it, doesn't mean anything. I want you to not only be athletic, I want you to be fundamentally sound. So that's how I grew up. That's what my first coach, you know, instilled in us and taught us from day one. And that's what I'm trying to teach as well. That's incredible because you can just, if you don't have the, the team aspect or if you haven't learned that, uh, how do you coach it later on if you didn't get it when you were younger? It's tough. It's difficult. The one thing I've noticed with a lot of the kids I train, I use the term killer instinct. A lot of them don't have that killer instinct. So a lot of the kids growing up now are more focused on team basketball and are very unselfish which is good. I'm trying to, you know, convince them to be a little more selfish. Um, so, you know, and I guess it's the generational thing too. I mean, I, I told them when I was younger growing up, my main objective was to score. I wanted the ball. I wanted to score. And a lot of these kids today are a little passive. And the ones that are, and you see it at a very young age, um, you know, you go to a local wide league and, you, you know, you have eight years old, eight year olds out there playing there's one or two guys on the team that just dominate the whole game on both ends of the floor because, they, you know, they're dribbling the ball, shooting the ball, they're playing full-court defense. And I'm trying to get a lot of the other guys just to get that that mental toughness and just toughness just to be more aggressive. So it's, it's a challenge. Just disposition. Um, you know, we just got done watching the last dance with Michael Jordan. And, mm -hmm. and I just thought that that really hit me when he talked about, they showed his brothers, right? That just right. like that, that, that seems to be like everything else made sense to me after seeing yeah. how hard they made it on him and that he had to compete for everything in the home. But how do you bring it, you know, for a kid who's doesn't have that is a little bit timid and passive. You know, a lot of it has to do with upbringing and where you grew up you know I grew up in Baltimore so either you get either you have it or you don't you better get it right now I'm training in Orange County so it's a little bit different you know not a knock against the kids it's just a culture thing you don't have to really fight and compete as much as you would have to do in the inner city you know as first is it's instilling confidence and letting them know that they can be good that they are good and then two, just you know just go out there and be yourself take what we're doing from our workouts and go out there and just look to be aggressive you know if you're not shooting and I, and I give them you know like a 
you know, a certain number of shots a quarter or something. I try to keep it, you know, low and don't set the expectations too high. You know, you should be getting two or three shots a quarter, whether it's a layup, getting to the basket, shooting the three, and then making some free throws. That's what you should focus on. Don't look at the big picture of the game. Break it down by quarters. Yeah, so, so this is really key, right? Because, you know, I just got – I'm reading some of Tim Grover, his book Relentless, mm-hmm. on his work with uh, Michael Jordan and, you know, about developing the killer instinct. On the other hand, you know, we're trying to teach principles of fundamental and team. So, you know, how do you balance this out, right? Especially the age groups you're working with mostly. Is, is the team – West Coast Legendary, that's like 13 and 19? Uh, West Coast Legendary, actually, we're starting at age five. Oh, wow. Uh, and we're, and we're, we're starting with the fundamentals of basketball. And it's a new organization here in Orange County. We, you know, with COVID, it pretty much shut us down uh, right when we were getting things started. But we want to start and do small group training, like four kids at a time or, or two to a trainer to really instill the fundamentals. In the, well, it's, it's easier to teach when they have someone else there with them, especially at that age. So we're just taking it step by step. And once we get into the groove of things and, and start teaching basketball, uh, we're going to select coaches and stuff that understand basketball, that can teach basketball. I think that's where we're missing the mark is a lot of the coaches are volunteer dads and stuff. And we want to sort of get away from that and, and actually get guys in there that understand that can teach basketball. Now the knock against volunteer dads, by the way. It's just that, you know, they enter the space because their kid is on the team and, you know, we're desperate for coaches. And, you know, they're not getting taught or, or, or learning the fundamentals and the basic stuff of basketball. So. Yeah, and, I, and I've seen now, you know, it's a little bit pivot. You mentioned the quarantine, people doing Zoom workouts, the whole landscape of basketball. It is an opportunity to work on some of your individual skills. I saw people with two paint cans and a, a wood to dribble underneath. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what kind of things? I mean, you know, this is, must be a real challenge for you, not being able to be, you know, face-to-face or smaller groups. What kind of skills or drills have people been able to, to use to keep practicing? Well, first, I've been doing a lot of one-on-one training still. I think, you know, with the social distance and everything, it's easy for me to do that because we can toss the ball to ourselves. I can demonstrate, and then you can go out there and you can toss and get the repetition in that way. The main thing I tell kids is to work on on the ball handling first. At home, go outside in your driveway or something and dribble the ball 10, 15, 20 minutes a day because being able to handle the ball decent builds confidence. You know, a lot of kids, the reason why they're – they're timid and shy on the basketball court is because they're not comfortable handling the ball. So that's the first thing I try to get them to be is very comfortable handling the basketball anywhere on the floor. Uh, and once we get to that point, then we start building from there. If they got a basket, they can go outside and shoot. But I definitely want you to be comfortable with the basketball. Yeah, I'm assuming that you were always a big man, right? So, I mean, how many people, people probably told you, you know, get it to a guard, right? I, that was a disadvantage for me because at some level, six foot four inches is, is not even, you know, that's a point guard height. So, right. you know, how do you keep people who are bigger at a younger age keeping balance with their skill sets? The thing is, Richard, I don't identify one position. You know, I think you should be able to play or need to be able to play all five positions on the floor. So, again, during my transition, uh, when I was overseas, that was like when the, the hybrid big man was coming into play, you know, the, the stretch four. I really expanded my game when I first got to Europe, and then you can see a lot of the guys coming to the NBA and the four guys and how this, it's evolved over the last 20 years or 25 years of big guys shooting threes and everything. So for me, I think guards need to be able to post up because you may have a mismatch with a smaller guard. 
And I think big guys should be able to rebound the ball and, and start a break and not waste, you know, seconds trying to look for the guard or pass it to the guard and then just run the floor. Um, so you got to be comfortable from, from all angles and all spaces on the court. That's a good point. Yeah, one of the best post-up men when I was growing up was uh, Mark Jackson. He was, he was a guard. Exactly. He could take anybody down on the block. So you mentioned uh, your experience going overseas. I mean, how, how was that for you, the young man? You know, how did that, you know, help develop your character? And, and what did that teach you about the world? It was, it was an amazing experience. I mean, you get a chance to travel and play in some of the most beautiful countries in the world. You know, countries that when you come back and, you, and you're talking about them with just regular people, they're like, oh man, it's my dream to go there on vacation. But you're immersed in that culture and in that country and learning the traditions and the language and the people, you know, it was invaluable, you know, as, as far as eating different foods and just, just respecting other cultures, other religions and, and everything that goes along with it. And I embraced it. You know, it was, you know, a fun time. I mean, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And did you receive, I mean, you know, we've, a lot's been going on here in, in our country, and I want to get to that, you know, in the recent weeks. Did you receive the same welcome everywhere you went as a basketball player? Did you feel the, the basketball culture was, you know, always the same in every country? Or was it other places where you responded where you felt less welcome coming from the States? No, I have to be honest. The basketball welcoming was tremendous. I mean, in every every country. I mean, sports fans are sports fans everywhere. So definitely didn't experience any negativity. Of course, you have the opposing fans that you have to deal with. You didn't but, know what they were saying, though, right? And so, and uh, for the most part, you know the words you learn first when you go to a foreign country. So you, you understand quickly. But, uh, you know, the best way to silence them is with your play. So... You know, that, that was my thing. I love playing on the road. But, no, the welcoming was warm, not only from the fans, but the people of the city, you know, standing out, especially as an African-American in a lot of these countries, you stand out. So I, I, I never experienced really any negativity. Um, and I know through sports is different. So I'm not naive to really what goes on. But, you know, personally, it was, it was, it was definitely positive. Is anything as hostile as inner city Maryland, though? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I should say it prepares for a lot of things. <laughs> you know, I mean, I played in uh, Dr. J's uh, old high school, Roosevelt. I mean, uh -huh. you know, where Public Enemy is from. I don't know if there's there's gyms that could compete with that. You know, you had rough hot hot boxes and just <laughs> you just go in there, no no blood, no foul. <laughs> That's right. So where 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 would you say is one of the toughest environments? Uh, in Europe to play. Greece was pretty tough. Greece Greece was pretty tough. You know, they throwing those those big uh, Euro coins or the <laughs> European coins. You know, some fans are, are spit. I mean, you can the same the same thing you see on TV as far as soccer. You get it on the basketball level as well, just on a smaller scale. Uh, and Italy, Italy had had its its fans in certain cities. I played in a city where our fans were great fans, but they were were held to the opposing fans. But you know, all in all, it's is is sports and the passion and the love for the game. So you know, you get in a little altercation here and there, but it, it, it hey. The best way to silence them is to score the, score the ball. So that's how we handled it. But that, I mean, is there a training program for people when they go overseas for that kind of a, a culture shock? No, but that's why we're doing the podcast and everything <laughs> and, and, and speaking right. of it, because we just want to educate you because it's, it's different. You know, it's different taking a kid from an inner city or taking a kid from a sheltered or close-knit, you know, family or organization or whatever and 
asking you to go overseas and to be, you know, the man. And you're only as good as your last game. And you could get, you know, let go or release at any time. They don't have to pay you or they didn't have to when I was playing or wouldn't. You know, you got to adapt to the food. It's, it's just a lot of things you have to adapt to. And if you're not mature enough to handle that, you know, when they start playing mind games with you and start talking behind your back and it makes it difficult. And if you can't withstand that, then you're not, I don't care how good of a basketball player you are. If you can't deal with that part of it, it's going to be tough. Yeah, and they're lucky to have athletes like yourself out there as mentors and guides. You know, a friend of our of the show, we've had Paul Shirley, who wrote a book, uh, Can mm-hmm. I Keep My Jersey? You know, he did a lot of 10-day contracts in the NBA, and then he played in Europe and talked about what it's like when the, the trainer's telling you one thing, and the co- you know, right. and they're speaking in another language, but you know what they're saying, and uh, that's something very different when, when you're kind of on your own away from your family. And so I'm, I'm glad that there's a resources out there because it's more and more common now that players are going from college and playing overseas. Absolutely. And I appreciate that. Yeah. So we, we touched on the, you know, protest. Um, you know, we have George Floyd, Ahmed Aubrey, so many people. What, what is it like for you uh, being a leader uh, working with young adults right now. Um, how are you managing with all this? And how do you think this shapes uh, the, your role as a coach and leader uh, in the athlete realm? I mean, for me, a lot, I mean, a lot of the kids that I work with, I mean, it hasn't come up. I don't know what the parents are, are speaking about in the household, but what I've, what I've noticed about the current generation of youth, and I'll say between the ages of, I'll say 18 and below, is that a lot of things that we saw when we were younger, they don't really see because it's more prominent now. We're speaking about it more. We're doing more about it. So whether it's race, sexuality, you know, things like that that's, that's, that's in the school system and things that, that was hidden from us or that wasn't really out in the open, you know, they're putting it out there now and the kids are talking about it. So they're exposed to a whole lot more. You can't hide it. And I, and I think they're you know, they don't see it the way we see it. It's not like it's a shock to them. So I think our, our younger generation is going to be like our positive generation because they don't see things and aren't dealing with things the way we, we dealt with it and had to. Tough. I mean, it's been tough in my household. My wife and I and our family back in Baltimore and everything is tough for, our, you know, the African-American community. And it's great to see, you know, white people as well come out and support us because they're taught of the, the nonsense as well. So it's been very positive. Uh, it's still a very difficult conversation to to have. And, you know, a lot of, I'll say white people don't know how to approach us to have that conversation. You know, we're always open. You just have to approach us. You know, I was telling my wife and other people, you know, when someone passes away, we, even though we don't know what to say, we say something because it's the respectful thing to do. And I'll say the same thing for this here. You may not know what to say, but just any gesture, just to let us know that you care, is always appreciative and and we're open to talk you know we're not gonna you know snap or say you wrong or anything like that is 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 dialogue that's going to get us to where we want to get to yeah that's that's a really good point i mean i'm I'm just friday was the one year anniversary of losing my father so i can certainly speak to the way grief has impacted me and there is that feeling of people really if they haven't lost someone they don't know what to say it becomes strange the whole way you relate to the world when you know when you know you're going through something and that but people don't address it it can hurt you more than if they say anything you know but on the flip side you mentioned about saying the wrong thing i think there are a lot of people out there afraid to say the wrong thing do you think that comes from their own fear or just 
they know that they are a part of it in some way or they could be contributing. They just don't know how to change or be a part of the change. I mean, we, we've seen quite a few statements where people had said the wrong thing. It's not ignorance. I won't say it's, it's ignorance. I'll say it's, it's lack of knowledge. I can't tell you what it's like to be a white man in America just like you can't tell me what it's like to be a black man in America. But I can have empathy and sympathy for whatever you go through just like and vice versa but I, I would try to educate myself or ask the right questions to educate myself before i i spoke out of context on something that i wasn't really educated about i don't know i mean making the wrong statement i, I just wish people would be more educated on, on what they say because when you make a statement like some of the statements we heard to me that's what you really feel kind of hard to retract that statement and clean it up once you've said it man action speaks louder than words i'm definitely a firm believer of second to third opportunities you know we can get past that but definitely education is, is, is the key, whether it's reading a book or just doing some real, like I said, talking to an African-American person just to see what it's like. And, you know, in some of the dialogue and conversations we've had, you know, we find out and talking with friends and stuff that, man, I really didn't understand or I really didn't know that. I didn't look at it that way. You know, it's just because you just don't know. And that's why I said it's not ignorance. You really just don't know. It seems like everyone these days is trying new workout systems. Some people go to the gym, others may run, but I've recently discovered a great in-home method that is absolutely amazing. I'm taking in-jitsu classes online where I'm being trained and pushed in real time by top MMA fighters straight from the octagon. Injitsu.com provides real-time classes so you can get a top-notch workout from the comfort of your own home. These classes are absolutely going to sell out. So head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class for free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash Richard Listens. Protecting your child's teeth is important in any sport. That's why Impact Dental Designs has put so much thought into their state-of-the-art mouth guards, protecting athletes in youth sports all the way up to advanced MMA fighters and champions. And the best part is you can customize your own design for your own creative and fun mouth guard. So head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash Richard Listens. And if you purchase now, you get a free customized design and 20% off your order. Being a psychologist, you know, I work a lot with, you know, with trauma and intergenerational trauma and the things that get passed on through our families and through our culture, even if we don't directly experience them, things that we know have gone on for us culturally. I went to school in, in the South and, and I'm still to this day a little bit shocked. Uh, you know, the, the, the Confederate flag was, was flying, turned house and I was, it, so I was always kind of, that was always a little bit of a, a front to me. And yet these were just kids that were, were coming into my fraternity. They didn't know appropriateness of it. They didn't know that the Holocaust wasn't something to joke about. And I remember getting into several fights about that. Have you, you know, had to experience that kind of ignorance and, and hold your ground coming up or have you had that opportunity to teach teammates who maybe were more open and you had that bond with yet they just were out of line personally to be honest with you i've been sheltered by basketball i'm not afraid to admit it you know I, i've been sheltered by basketball you know a lot of things are, are given or you know there's a lot more respect that we have uh to the general population and everything because of being an athlete. You know, I really haven't been exposed to a lot of those issues. I'm seeing it more as I get older. When I was coming up, it was it was basketball, basketball, basketball. And unlike, you know, the young generation today that's out protesting and things like that, 
like that was the furthest thing from my mind. You know, I, I, I had basketball on my mind. That was it, a college athlete. And I didn't think about outside issues. You know, I really wasn't dealing with thinking about race and stuff because my first coach was a, was a white guy who came and, and would pick me up and other African-American kids and take us to practice every day from the age of eight until we no longer played for him. And, you know, and the same thing with summer camps in the summertime, he ran free summer camps all summer long for basketball. Um, so my experience again through sports was different, but I'm not naive to what's going on. And I would never use my experiences to, to take away from what I know the major issue and the major problem is. Um, so, you know, it's hard for me to, I mean, I see it. I, I know it goes on. I'm aware of it. Um, I had an instance in college at Clemson University where I got called the N-word at the game right behind the scores table and I almost went in the stands. Um, so, you know, it's, it's there. But I, I, I was at the point where I was just brushing it off. You know, if you said it to me personally, then we had an issue. Um, and that's how I, I would handle it. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm a big guy, too, so people are very selective. Between my size and playing the sport, I was, I was sheltered from that because, you know, people only speak to and say things to people they know they can get away with it. That's my, my story on, on that one. Yeah, I mean, and it's really, I think it came out yesterday in the news, uh, John Morant there playing in Memphis, mm -hmm. um, you know, and now athletes being at the stage of confidence and influence to to look at this. I mean, I don't, I can't imagine what that's like. There's a statue of, I guess, Robert E. Lee outside right. the, the stadium and him saying, well, how, how <laughs> it's either me or, <laughs> or the statue kind of, right. I mean, you, you, I mean, that's the level what we're at. Why, why should we be afraid to express the contradiction that's going on here. And it'll be interesting if this gets taken to action where now the support is there, where it's just not a uh, opinion that gets kind of expressed and then, you know, just go back with the flow of the way things are being carried. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think that the major sports organizations will carry through with uh, some of the changes they're expressing? Uh, the NFL, a lot of players have expressed solidarity and, and, and kneeling with the anthem, or do you think it's still an uphill climb? I, I think they, were, they have no choice but to go through with it because I think the players that are the driving force behind these professional sports teams are going to make sure they go through with it. Um, it was good to see that, that that NASCAR did what they did. I think they were at the forefront with that. I mean, that was tremendous, considering the type of sport that we all know NASCAR to, to be. Um, the NFL followed right behind and put their money where their mouth is, which is good to see. I'm still uh, on the fence about the owners because none of the owners have really stepped up and said anything. So it's sort of, you know, a split between Goodell and what the owners are thinking. For me, the NBA has always been one of the most progressive professional leagues as far as getting, every, getting out in front of everything and, and, and making a statement and making a stand. And, you know, with the NBA being 75 80% black, I mean, they're not going to have a choice but to, 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 to continue to do what they're doing. So I, I, think, I think it starts with sports. For me, sports is like the, the common denominator in everything. For me, you can bring unity, you can bring people together through sports. That's why, I, I, you know, despite everything that's going on, even if there's no fans, I think it's important to get back to sports because that's, that's the, the unifying piece right there. That's what's gonna bring us all together, you know, for a common goal or the root for, you know, a particular team. You know, I, I hope they continue it. And, and for me, it's because of the, the COVID situation and everyone staying at home and, and people not working, I mean, we have nothing but time to protest and, and to be heard. 
So, you know, I, I told my wife, I think these protests are going to go on for a while, given the situation. We've been cramped up in the house for, for two months now. I mean, just looking for a reason to, to get out. And, and now we have a reason and this, you know, to unify America and, and to really make it equal for everyone. So, yeah, and I, I mean, I feel it even as you say it. I mean, there's such a, a grief within me and mourning. I mean, the one way in which I interacted with people and, and, and I met people from other areas of town or across the bridge was through basketball. So mm-hmm. on the one hand, I'm missing it. On the other hand, if things were not fair and there were deeper issues, they need to come out in order for ever, you know, there's no, without conflict, there's not growth and there's not change. Uh, right. So I'm happy there's protests, but I've, I'm also happy there's sport has some pathway to continue because it's this ultimate language of when you're playing together, you, you cannot be divided and be a team. Right. You know, if you're not committed. So especially from a young age, right. When, when young kids are learning to, play together, focus on a common goal. They don't, they're not focusing on, you know, um, this negativity or just taking down whatever they're absorbing from the culture. That's, that's incorrect. Uh, they're learning, like you said, through their lived experience, you know, how to create unity. Uh, and here we are in Los Angeles. I mean, like really a hotbed for an opportunity for that, where there's, there is this diversity, certainly, like you're mentioning, I think, I mean, African-Americans, I think, is it uh, 9% of the population here in LA or, or greater? You know, the, the representativeness needs to be greater. And the fact that some of my colleagues who were former athletes, when there was a layoff due to COVID, the first thing they said to me is, even though just, just kind of had the thought, I hope it's not because I'm black that they right. laid me off. I mean, that's tremendously painful right. to have that fear. What what kind of books or or films or, or any kind of education are, are you recommending that would help people get a little bit more awareness, a little bit more sensitivity, if they're open? Really, really I, I mean, I, I've been watching the news religiously uh, since all this has been going on. I mean, even during my playing days overseas, I've been a huge news. I'm, I'm just listening to our, our, our black leaders and and and, and politicians. Uh, speak on it, you know, listening to the athletes and everything. Uh, as, as far as books and everything, I mean, what is it? Roots is a good movie to, to, to go back and look at. Uh, I can't think of the name of the book that just came out that a white author wrote um, that my wife is, is, is reading that she said is really good that they mentioned on CNN. Um, I mean, for, for me, the best thing to know is, is to talk to people. To, to have dialogue. I mean, don't be afraid if you have black or African-American friends to approach them and ask them, if we have a friendship, there's nothing that you can say to me or that I can't, that I can say to you that's, that's going to upset me, you know, especially during a situation like this. My job is to help educate you, to help you understand what's going on. And, and that's the, for me, the best way to get it because you're getting it firsthand. So that's right. Well, if you think of it later on, we can put it in the show notes. Okay. Um, I, I'll, the, do, I'll do some research and send you a, uh, a, a, a text or something with, with, with some good information. Yeah. I mean, the LA times this weekend and the Saturday edition did have a, a selection, I think of eight to 10 books that okay. if you're looking to learn about. So I'm going to uh, choose one myself. Uh, you mentioned social media. I mean, Mike, 
my daughter wants to get out there and, and protest. I mean, they're seeing everything. They're seeing the eight minute version of the video of George Floyd. And, right. and I think, you know, kids are outraged. They, they feel things viscerally. They see violence. And it was interesting. I have twins. One wants to go out and, and, and fight and the other one wanted to kind of bury his head in the sand because it's just too painful. Right. So I think having the discussion with kids and, and processing a little bit of what they're seeing and what do they feel is the appropriate way to respond uh, and what way can they voice or affect control in whatever way it is, whether it be through their sports team, their, their school, uh, or their group of friends, what way can, can you stand up for intolerance and, and create more equality just in your own sphere of influence? You know, in the remaining time we have left, Norman, tell us a little bit about the show you're launching, your own work with uh, just connecting to athletes, giving them a voice on their road back from playing professionally onto the next segment of their career and, and where your work is like to take you in 2021 and forward? Well, first, you know, with the podcast, as I mentioned, it was something that just came up and then, you know, people really liked it and we got great reviews from it. Yeah. I'm really not good at anything scripted. It has to be natural for me. And and like I said, the people that, that chime in, I love the live interaction. Um, that's why we decided to go live with it. So that's, that's something I'm into and I had Quite a few people that's contacting me, old college teammates, some other people that wants to get involved and do some some podcasts. So that's always an option. The other thing, you know, just continue helping helping the youth and 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 staying a focal point and 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 them having access to me for you know whatever I can do to help them. It's it's a difficult time. A lot of a lot of kids turn a deaf ear to listening to the parents all the time. So I'm a different voice. I've been there. I've done it. And also, you know, to educate parents and, and, and high school kids on the recruitment process and, you know, going to college and picking the right college. And, you know, you may be borderline, you know, you could go to one school that's a low tier school and play a lot of minutes and everything. But what does it look like for you once it's over with? Or you could go to a great school and get a great education and not play as many minutes. But, you know, you're not thinking of you know, to play professional basketball after that, but you will be set up for life after that with a great education and maybe have, you know, a six-figure income job when you finish. So, you know, just educating them on that and then what to look out for, you know, when coaches are coming in and, and, and selling you on coming to their school. Um, continue helping guys that when they graduate from college to go overseas and, 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 and make an informed decision about what countries and, and to help get their careers uh, off and running. You know, I'm, I'm all about helping people, you know, taking what I've learned and just helping you. If I can just offer just, you know, little little bits of advice here and there to make your transition smoother so you don't make any mistakes, then that's what I want to do. And then West Coast Legendary, like I said, we're just getting started with that. And, you know, we're in the Lisa Viejo. We're excited to, you know, be embraced by the community and 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 start the developmental process of, of the young kids and and then, you know, teaching them and, and seeing how they grow over the next five, five years to 10-year to period. So That's exciting stuff. I mean, you know, you mentioned, you know, in real quick before we close out, you know, the, the quarantine, this has changed the scope of recruiting. How do you help players? I mean, their college visits are down. I mean, how, how do you help people make these decisions right now? It's even more confusing than it is normally. It's more confusing than you can't be seen. Um, you know, I would recommend players, if they have video, 
that they, you know, recorded through the season before the shutdown to send video to the colleges that they're interested in, reach out to the coaches and everything, and just politic as much as you can. Uh, coaches are desperate looking for players as well, so you never know, you know, who I you might catch. Um, but you just got to put yourself out there. I mean, everything now is virtually. If you can go out and go to a basketball court and record some of your private workouts and send those off. Um, but, I mean, right now, that's, that's, that's the best way to get it out there. Um, and that's another area I would like to touch into is, is, is for those guys who aren't ranked in the top 200 or 300 in their class, giving them an opportunity to be seen virtually uh, for college coaches on the East Coast that can't get out West or don't come out West or recruit out West. There's just so many more opportunities for players that are on a lower scale and a lower level that they, can't, they don't even have access to because those schools don't have the budget to come out here and recruit. So we want to open up that recruitment process, not only for them, but for the school and sort of uh, bridge the gap. And that's the beauty of technology. You can get a coach sitting in, you know, the East Coast in the cold, a tape, exactly. even if you're in San Diego. Uh, how did you make the decision on U University of Virginia? What was the, uh, what sold you? What was the driving force? Uh, it was close to home, for one. I had a couple of teammates that already committed to Maryland, so I, I really didn't want to go to Maryland. And I knew all along I was a big East ACC guy. Um, so my teammate and uh, best friend today, Curtis Staples, and I, we came up the ranks together, and they started recruiting us together. And uh, we just decided that, you know, this is what we're going to do. Great school, great campus, and uh, not too far from home. So definitely one of the best decisions of my life. That's, that's beautiful right there, yeah. Uh, so family and friends were able to see you play. Absolutely. Incredible, incredible. And so, I mean, thank you so much for making time amidst all this. I, I think the, the work you're doing, even with athletes and transitioning back, I uh, hope to be able to, to have you on in the panel we're doing for uh, retired and transitioning athletes. I think there's a, a, a lot there. And, and unfortunately, you know, this, the longer this layoff goes, it may mean for a lot of guys that they're thinking about their post career a lot sooner than they had hoped for. You know, I'm grateful to get acquainted to you through social media, the power of of that network and your willingness to be out there, be vulnerable and uh, health help athletes from the youngest age through their whole career and post. I appreciate you being out there and, and being connected. Rich, I appreciate you having me on and allowing me just to express myself and, and, and speak. Definitely would love to get on the retired, you know, panel for, for athletes transition because that's been my biggest issue is, is you know, when I retired, it happened so fast and you know it's coming, but you really not, you don't want to come to the realization that it's coming and you get stuck. And to be honest, most, most professional athletes aren't accustomed to working a nine to five. A nine to five is not the career for them. You either have to work for yourself or go into something where you have the freedom and the liberties to, you know, do what you want to do and still be impactful. And, and I think that's what we struggle with. So if I could say, say some words of wisdom and help some guys out and help them through that process, man, I'm, I'm here for you anytime you need me. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, the, the, the suddenness and having to learn new skills and having to all of a sudden accept that the thing you've done. I mean, I heard a couple of your, your live streams. I mean, when you've been playing since you were eight or five. Right. And now, I mean, it is, and you're retiring at what, 30? 37. <laughs> 37 that's a long career that's a long career I mean but still it's a young man at 37 and yet some ladies uh um you know you're starting over so I know uh, young is relative it's tough <laughs> to start a corporate America career at 37 38 especially when they're looking for guys that, or uh, 
people who've just graduated from college. That's, that's, that's a tough industry to crack. And then you're used to making a certain amount of money, then everything is entry level. So, you know, you just have to rely on your university and, and alumni and connections and, and people you know to figure out and get to where you need to get to. That's right. Yeah. Trust, trust your, your village. There you go. I got you there. All right, uh, Norman, in closing, tell people how they can get a hold of you and contact you uh, if, should they have questions. Uh, we'll certainly post that in the show notes, but uh, since they're listening, maybe they're in their car right now. I have uh, my Twitter page. I really don't do a lot on Twitter, but that's uh, the big fella 25 um, Instagram as well, NLN B-Ball Academy. And then uh, my website is nlnba.com. And then Facebook, just Norman Nolan. Thank you, everybody. Look forward to more good stuff from the big fella, 25. I hope uh, one day, you know, we can get on the court together. Uh, until then, uh, I'll be practicing in my driveway. Always, once a baller, always a baller, right? Always a baller. <laughs> but Richard, uh, I'm retired, so I don't play anymore. <laughs> well, everyone, that was a real treat. I want to thank Norman Nolan for joining us. Busy man, straight from the podcast to the basketball court. A real treasure and influencer for athletes west coast legendary his new basketball program ages five on up and a former nba player basketball player overseas a real gift of his time encouraging us to look deeper within to take a little bit more time to educate ourselves and to not be afraid to ask difficult questions in growing uh, in approaching difficult subjects of race and relations as we, uh, as we continue to change and confront difficulties uh, and pain that is going on in our world and our society currently. So I want to thank all of you for being here, always encouraging and listening to important subject matters affecting our society and our uh, guests and as they strive to make differences and change in the world. I appreciate you helping me to be a voice, supporting me at patreon.com slash Richard Listens. I'm grateful to all of you. Again, check me out on Instagram at Richard Listens. I'm Richard Listens and I'm out. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Lastly, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the session. I've personally taken a few of these classes and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion and with a drenched shirt. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. Take care, everyone.